0: Welcome back to The the Table, everyone. I'm your host today, Alexis J. Soto, joined by Mr. Peter Martinez, the showrunner of this show. Um, back from our extended hiatus of Tron month, which I really enjoyed, and I'm sure uh, Peter did as well, and hopefully you, the audience, did too. And now we're back for a, a highly anticipated horror themed month. Uh what kind of horror peter will get into momentarily uh just a reminder you can catch our podcasts every wednesday as they drop so peter would you like to uh, take the reins as to what our listeners can be expecting for this month's batch of episodes and also um, why you arrived at the particular theme, and and, and people should realize P- Peter had a lot to work with, <laughs> in terms of like w- what theme uh, we wanted to
1: do for horror movies. Because
0: I think you only get to pick three or four for a month, so yeah,
1: at most four. Well, as everyone knows, it is Ghosttober, the the spookiest of spook seasons, and um. The three films this year, this Tober that we shall be discussing onto the table are all ghost films. And the reason for that was, why the fuck not? Get out my grill. Uh, Well, mostly, because we had already decided to discuss the show The Haunting of Hill House and The Haunting of Bly Manor on the regular Red Spotlight and then we were also gonna do audio commentaries on what was it The Shining and Dr. Sleep so we already had a ghost thing kind of going on so I said fuck it let's let's just go ahead and continue it and it'll help me narrow down more what exactly films I would pick specifically uh So, as always, I attempt to pick films that the other individual that is part of the discussion would actually enjoy. I am not here to punish them (laughs) yet. There might be in the future some that I would like to punish them with, but not today. Today, I picked a film uh, to start off Ghost spectacular ober tober awesomeness I picked a film that I had assumed that Alexis would like because it was produced and maybe a little bit more than that uh, by it
0: was uh, co-written
1: yes Stanley produced, Kubrick co-written oh, <laughs> co-written by Stanley Kubrick we are of course talking about poltergeist 19 to film officially uh is at least what it says on the film directed by uh the master of horror toby cooper sorry not toby cooper toby hooper he also <laughs> of course um was the director of the texas chainsaw massacre so yeah oh uh Um, that's why before I ask you what you felt about the film, I should go ahead and do a little rundown on the film. Surprised if anyone hasn't heard of it yet, but here we go. Poltergeist, directed by Toby Hooper. They're here. Steve Friedling (laughs) lives with his wife, Diane, and their three children, Dana, Robbie, and Carol Ann in Southern California. Oh, I've heard of that place where he sells houses for the company that built the neighborhood. It starts with just a few odd occurrences, such as broken dishes and furniture moving around by itself. However, when he realizes that something truly evil haunts his home, Steve calls in a team of parapsychologists led by Dr. Lesh to help before it's too late. So, Mr. Soto... The movie was great. It was
0: awesome. I loved it. You can continue with your remarks.
1: <laughs> that's that's it?
0: Well, that's where we were starting off. I mean, if you want to get my initial impressions, that's what I felt. Okay. Um. So, no, I mean, <laughs> I just, I don't like being put on the spot. <laughs> <anymore>. um, <laughs> what do you mean I don't know. put on the spot? This is literally what we come to know. do. I, just, <laughs> I know. I know. Um. I don't know what else I can say. Uh, I found it to be highly uh, (laughs) entertaining. Um, And yeah, we'll get into it as we discuss the movie.
1: (laughs) Okay. I don't know. You're not selling me on the fact that you liked it, but okay. Um. (laughs) Why don't we start at the the very beginning with this film which is before the even film was made um steven spielberg this film very much feels like a steven spielberg at least in in my mind when i watched it it felt like a spielberg film Uh, but it's not officially directed by steven spielberg it's directed by toby hooper who toby hooper is a good director um but ever since the movie came out there has been rumors that spielberg was behind the camera a lot more uh than let on you know, the crew basically came out and said mm. he was behind the camera a lot lot more than many would think and also, I believe 1982. Uh, f- I for why he wouldn't have just directed it himself, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if you did any research. He wasn't into
0: that. making a movie at that point, was he?
1: I feel like he's always making movies, so I don't know, especially in the eighties. <laughs> but why yeah. he wouldn't have? Again, I'm not entirely sure. But yeah, that's that's kind of the first stop with this film is that it feels you know whether it's true or not that Spielberg actually directed a good chunk of this film it feels like a Spielberg film (laughs) for the most part yeah like
0: that's one of the first Uh, things I can say did you feel that? Yes, I felt that very much so. When you when I found out that Toby Hooper was a director of uh, such works as Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which a movie I, I would never see willingly or voluntarily and that could be a future to the table at some point because I still haven't seen it. Because why would uh-huh. I? Um I'll
1: say the film's very different than Poltergeist. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to say though. Like I haven't seen the movie, but
0: Knowing from – look, a lot of – people should, I feel, give me – cut me a little bit of a break here. Um, When it comes to works like Poltergeist or The Wizard of Oz or some other things, look, a lot of these films are so inherent in pop culture and are so spoofed on – by other works that follow at some point you're going to come across something in which you've basically already seen this movie you just didn't know it so um just leaving that out there so like with texas uh chainsaw massacre i can probably without having seen the movie i can already kind of guess what that is it's a, a slasher fest and stuff that i as a kid would not enjoy
1: whatsoever um, it's a cultural osmosis as i like to call it <laughs>
0: that's that's definitely a phrase for it but this poltergeist definitely <laughs> didn't feel like a, a texas Chainsaw massacre to me it definitely was the kind of horror stories uh horror story that i am interested in uh with it you know the the whole supernatural effect so that also may have uh you know helped out your i guess line of thinking of like films horror films that I would like uh and that stuff I'm all, I'm always interested in but this and i think it was I, i've known for a while that Steven Spielberg uh produced this movie as well as co-wrote the script which uh is very unusual for him to do he never writes the screenplay, much less directs... uh, I saw in the credits, I think it also
1: said, like, story by? So Yeah. The story idea was by
0: him, and then he co-wrote the script. There was a section, I think, in the Spielberg documentary where they they talked about this particular time period um, and how, you know, part of what influenced him to do this story was, as a child he would constantly uh, play scare pranks on his sisters. So that was kind of the inspiration uh, to write um, this story. So that's as far as I know of, you know, kind of the origin of this. But nevertheless, it is very unusual. I think the circumstance of this, like his involvement, he co-wrote, he produced why wouldn't he then just direct? That's not necessarily like him, and you're right. Um, although, that being said, and from what I've seen, there have been um, contradictory positions about his full involvement with this. And this is, not I think, not the first or last time that these kind of stories have um, followed Spielberg. I know that there are a whole bunch of like group of thought that believe that Spielberg helped George Lucas make episode 3 or directed oh, some yeah. scenes I don't know I don't know what I guess evidence there is to suggest that besides that episode 3 is a better directed film than the other two although by how much of a mile I'm not so sure I'm going to say go- I'm going to assume <laughs> they mean maybe some of the individual scenes are better directed maybe um, certain shots but uh, <laughs> perhaps, I don't know. Maybe that's something that uh, George let him do, considering that Spielberg gave Lucas the reins to basically Indiana Jones 4. So maybe they were like, you give me one, I'll give you one. I don't know what happened there. But um, it is very interesting. Uh, When I learned about uh, who exactly Toby Hooper was, and how this particular film poltergeist is so unlike anything else that he's done uh not just Texas chainsaw massacre and then when you also just take it the take the movie at face value it is just littered with the kind of stuff that Spielberg is known for it felt very spielberg not only from i think the the you know the family but the the emphasis on like child actors um even just, I guess, the tone of it. like He was, I think, uh, going for something uh, that I think would be scary for a particular demographic. Not necessarily, I feel, over the top with it. I was uh, hearing that he was fighting for that PG rating, uh, because at that point, there was only PG or R rating. There wasn't a PG-13 rating, which... Spielberg himself did help create the PG-13 rating down the line. So, um, yeah, it's a very interesting film. Um, and I, I didn't want to say too much at the beginning of it because I just wanted to get straight into this because I feel like a lot of it really um, gets us in a good place of understanding this movie. Um, mm mm-hmm. But you're right though. It it, it it may as well be considered a Spielbrick movie. Um this would be the only horror film beside I think Duel, uh I think in his entire filmography unless I'm missing something.
1: Yeah. Or films that he's worked on from a personal perspective. Duel would strictly even fit under horror. Maybe thriller. Right. Okay. I'm trying to think what else. Jaws. How can you forget Jaws? Oh, that's right,
0: <laughs> Jaws. <laughs> Jaws. Yeah, literally the um, movie that yeah.
1: made him. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's right. So you have horror, poltergeist, guys, and you have Duel. Although Duel did come before Jaws, it was yeah. a TV
1: film. Duel was technically like his first film. Mm-hmm. But it was a TV film.
0: It was a TV movie mm-hmm. that he basically was
1: like made it feel like a feature film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. One of the things I like about this film again it's it's one of those films and I really like films this way where it starts right at the beginning of the action and then yes. once the action's done <laughs> the film ends <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't yeah. fuck around with your time. Well that's very much <laughs> like, of
0: its <laughs> time I feel though. Like that that's yeah. isn't that, isn't that the case cuz a, a lot of movies mm-hmm. these days um don't do that. <laughs> you know, like the climax isn't the end. There's like a lot of padding. There's a lot of filler. There's a lot of dialogue scenes that don't need to be in there. And this kind of reminds you, um, you don't always need that. In fact, in many cases, you'd be better off not
1: needing that, you know? Yeah. I, I love a tight film where it's just like you're thrown in. You experience it, and then it ends. And then it's like, great. Boom. Boom, boom, boom. Done. Awesome. Uh, The last film that I kind of saw like that was, um, and I really liked this one, the uh, crawl with the alligator. The alligator. (laughs) That was fun. That was good. Yeah. Where it starts, and it's like, fucking alligators, you know? And then right as they're rescued, boom, done. See you later, alligator. That's it, <laughs> and I'm like, awesome, great. I came, I experienced it. <laughs> See you later. Uh, and with this one, it, it's not only that. It's it's with a lot of things, right? So, cause like, the first night that, and I'm I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but I promise I'll jump back. But like the first night where they experience shit really, really bad, and the girl disappears. You would think there would show all of them, like, coping with it, and there would be all of this build up to them finally talking to, like, paranormal investigators, but it literally goes from that night, and then it cuts to the dad talking to the paranormal investigators, and there's just this implied, yeah. like, this has been going on for weeks, you know, but you don't show them, like, slowly, like, losing it, talking to the cops that their daughter's missing, you know, like stumbling upon the paranormal research somewhere and then 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 going to talk to them. It's literally just like they experienced it, boom. Right next to go right back to the paranormal investigator so you can get back to the the ghost. (laughs) Which again I I actually appreciate just how compact and just tight the film is. I I, that's one of the things I enjoy about it. And I wish more movies were like that. Um but yeah like I agree with
0: you so mm -hmm. much just letting people know there may be a delay. Uh, that's why we may be cutting into each other here, but mm-hmm. um, that I think speaks to the era <laughs> uh, of, of filmmaking. Like it, it, I just even the best of movies these days have uh, issues with uh, you know just getting to the gist of things. You know, yeah. Because I think like there's this perception I think by modern day. Hollywood, and again, what that is anymore in the age of COVID, who knows? But as far as like with like big movies or big blockbusters these days, there, uh, the impression definitely is out there that, well, if you want a big movie, it's got to be two hours, two fifteen, two twenty, two and a half. Uh, the length of the film definitely, I think, the average length of big movies has gotten longer and longer. I'm not even sure how long this movie is uh poltergeist
1: um but it didn't feel long no it didn't. <laughs> if that's a good indication 114 minutes so it's not short but it ain't like two and the two and a half hour type shit that you see nowadays <laughs> uh yeah so the movie began it literally begins with that the the first contact of the ghosts with the the little girl Carol Ann. and I was gonna look up her name, but I realized it had been burned into my mind with how much they scream it in the movie. <laughs> Carol Ann. I mean, literally. <laughs> Carol Anne. <Carol> Ann. <laughs> mommy, mommy. Um, that's that's the whole fucking movie right there. That's the script. Uh. Yeah, it literally starts with them all asleep throughout the through through the night. You know, fall asleep in front of the TV, and then it does it does that thing that TVs don't really do anymore, or do they? I don't even know. Um, I'm a no. They don't do that. What happened was is at 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 a certain
0: point. So this is the early '80s. Mm -hmm. This is a time in which there were only really three big channels, three big networks, um, and. Once they conclude their broadcasting signal, like around uh, like ten or eleven o'clock at night, they cut off the signal, and that's why you literally cut to the TV doing that it's
1: ksh- like white noise and then the, type thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then that's her talking to the the little girl talking to the TV. The TV the people. The TV people. Real, real, pretty <laughs> creepy shit. <laughs> Uh, and I wanted to ask you this: Did you feel the film was trying to say anything political?
0: That's an interesting take. Uh, no, it didn't. It didn't cross my mind. But now that you're saying, well, I do know that there is a frequent use of the Star Spangled Banner. Um. The f- they, do they do play that and then i also do know and again this i, I, I need to be completely transparent about mm-hmm. this uh because we had this discussion i think about a year ago when we were talking about the shining and i had asked a general conversation about how typical indian burial grounds are um uh in horror films uh so a lot of the a lot of the stuff that this movie is known for, I had been exposed to previously. So I knew I knew kind of most of this movie before having seen the actual thing. I don't think it diminished mm-hmm. it all that well because I think uh the the movie is just great <laughs> on its own. I think it still works. Maybe I think it would have worked I feel it would have been far more terrifying if I were a small child yeah, watching definitely. this. So there's that, but I found it I found it to be great fun. I loved it. But that is an interesting aspect that you bring up because we do have those two to piece it together. We have the Star-Spangled Banner and the music, and we also have the fact that this house and this entire neighborhood is this American development built on top of a Indian burial ground. And of course, if you know your history, America's original sin was genocide of Native Americans. It's- uh, it's
1: it's the newly developed suburbs, the American dream. Uh-huh. And not like the film literally starts, like you said, with the Star Spangled Banner. It's plain when poltergeist pops up on screen. Um every time before the TV, you know, switches to white noise, it's um the Star Spangled Banner with scenes of American patriotism before it instantly cuts smash cuts to that white noise. Um, the father, when they're in the bed, is reading a book about Ronald Reagan.
0: Yes. Oh my god. <laughs> that that moment stuck out to my yeah. mind. I didn't piece it together at that point. Um, it just made me remember I hate Ronald Reagan. Oh yeah. That's all I was thinking of. <laughs> Every at that good point. person should. But you're right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um But not only that the, this is kind of, it's kind of a funny joke, but I'm like, "Mm, this might imply something was remember at the next morning at breakfast where little Carol Ann goes over to the little TV in the kitchen and turns it to white noise and just starts staring at it. (laughs) And you're like, Oh shit, what the fuck is she doing? But then the mom walks by and she's like, Oh, don't do that. You're going to ruin your eyes and switches it to like, a world war 2 movie where they're like <gasps> shooting and killing each other <laughs> like oh, no no this is better <laughs> i laughed
0: at that mm-hmm. but i didn't think there was anything more to it than just like a funny like cut to
1: yeah Bonjour.
0: As you were. So, as you were saying?
1: Yeah. So thinking about this film as I was watching it, I noticed these things more prevalent prevalently for the the very first time. And it got me thinking like, oh, like they just started popping out and I'm like, mm, like I feel like this film is trying to be just a little bit more than just a ooh spooky house in the suburbs type thing, I think the fact that it is the suburbs has a lot to do with it you know, yeah it, it it kind of feels like that, and then also just the way it shows just how affluent they are, everyone around them, like yes. this the neighborhood. How everything's like, oh yeah, you know, we got a jacuzzi in, in our in our spare room over here, and it and it's just like, oh, phase four and phase five of development, it's gonna be beautiful, and and it's yeah, and just the very overt, like you said, messaging of this wonderful paradise <laughs> is literally built on top of graves that That kind of symbolism, so i I think it has kind of a lot to say about uh the American dream and what it took to achieve that, and I don't think it was necessarily anything positive <laughs> um, the way
0: you spell it out mm-hmm. now it it feels like. It's a bit too intentional to be an accident. Has there been any on-record uh, questioning behind the creators about any of this? I
1: don't know. I did, like, a quick Google search, and I didn't really get anything. I'd have to imagine, if if you dig for more than five seconds, like I didn't do, uh, you'll probably find something, but I just feel like all of it is just too overt. <laughs> the yeah. fact that the movie literally just starts with the blaring of the national anthem with poltergeist title card just over it like um, <laughs> and the way the film just ends with them escaping suburbia A- and also the fact that the conduit is through the television which right uh, is an
0: american invention
1: that that was kind of, you know, the TV set. You know, that 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 in of itself was really, uh, that came along with the whole American idealism of like the nineteen fifties and onward. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you know, everyone has a television and TV dinners and <laughs> that whole boom uh, after World War Two and from the nineteen fifties and sixties and onward. So yeah, I mean, I I feel like it's pretty blatant, the, the political messaging of the film. I just never noticed it before.
0: That is so interesting. And I really do wonder, though, if perhaps why this doesn't get much recognition now, I don't know... It, this isn't anything that really is associated with the legacy of Poltergeist. I think most people
1: just remember it as like, Oh, that was a really cool, fun horror movie from the eighties. They remember the tree. And that's it. They remember the clown. They remember they're here. Yeah. You know, they were the <laughs> yeah, they remember all that other stuff, but sort of the political insinuations, not really. But to be fair, I feel like that's most films i I, it's i it's i've sadly come to realize most people don't consume film beyond the 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 very very top you know they never go below the surface just at the very very top whatever they see at the top of the surface they just take it at face value uh because there's so many films like I've said, I've seen people be like, "Oh, Robocop isn't political." So, so many people claim that they're tired of politics and their films, and then when you ask them what their favorite films are, it's some of the most blatantly political films. And it's like, okay, I, why do you even like these films? Like, <laughs> what do you see in them? I, yeah. So, I, it's par for the course, I guess.
0: As is our usual conversations, it seems like, when we're anal- you know analyzing movies. But no, I- I'm legitimately curious about this. Um, and I- I- I'm tempted almost to stop this podcast <laughs> and do an investigative report on what the hell the history of this is. Because, you know, you do... Uh, I don't know why it didn't occur to me. I mean, because I-, I watched the damn movie. But I guess I was more... Uh, <laughs> Concerned with the damn, uh, uh, you know, uh, ghosts and uh, the funness of it to even realize it. But, you know, those things did stick out. The Reagan thing in particular did stick out. The I do remember the the national anthem. You do remember the bodies coming out of the, the end of the movie. Um, so maybe subliminal, subconsciously, I did get it. But that just wasn't, I think, where my attention was. you know first
1: viewing of course you're gonna be like oh fuck (laughs) there's a ghost uh i i you know what i say we we do some research a bit um at the beginning of the next uh uh to the table we can have a we have a little update (laughs) sure that sounds fun um but yeah, that, that is a very interesting commentary. Speaking of the dead bodies at the end, did you know at that time in Hollywood, they didn't use fake skeletons. They used real dead bodies. Which... <sighs> well, there's a time for everything, isn't extremely it? Extremely <laughs> ironic, given the message of the film.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no. You're kidding me. No. You make a movie <laughs> about the dangers of desecrating on land with dead people, and then you cast actual carcasses.
1: To be fair, that was like par for the course for films, but still this film in particular that's uh pretty pretty funny. <laughs> those
0: were actual bodies and those actors literally because there were scenes where one in particular was swimming in a pool with them hollywood's a
1: bitch ain't it (laughs) i would not be okay with that on any level (laughs) i wouldn't either wow but i'm not an actor so
0: I mean, this isn't entirely, I think, uh, foreign. I mean, for people who know their Disney history, they all know that um, there was a real-life skeleton inside the Pirates of the Caribbean track. Yeah, back then, people
1: just didn't give a shit.
0: They did it. They didn't. <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll just use a, a real-life skeleton.
1: I mean, it's there. What else is it going to do? It ain't coming back to life. <laughs> I guess that was the thought process. Uh, um so yeah at the beginning of this film first of all i uh, i like the family yes they're yeah, they're yeah. likable you know uh-huh. uh the mom smokes weed so you know she's cool uh the, the dad you know typical suburban dad but he he's not like a dick cuz yeah. a lot of them can come off can be you know, seems nice enough dad uh, the the young girl and the young son, cute, you know the young with Carolan, cute, cute little girl, uh, and and the sister, you know, typical teenage daughter type character. But again, like she's not, she doesn't like hate her siblings, like similar other stories would have her like, oh, I hate my brother and I, oh, I have to be around them. But like at the at the breakfast table, you know, she's goofing off with them. And it's like, oh, it's, it's yeah. a nice family. <laughs> they're they're like Yeah, it.
0: and and this may just be me. I'm not sure if you paid much attention to this as well. I, I agree wholeheartedly. I think that you liking this family makes you like this movie just a, that little bit more. There are a lot of horror films, a lot of haunted house movies where you probably wouldn't give a damn about the characters um, and that may or may not, you know, come to a detriment with how much you like the movie. In some cases, if they're bad people, you're happy that they're being haunted and they're being disturbed. But in this case, you legitimately like them and therefore would not wish the things that they're about to go through. Um, one of the things that I found interesting about this this house um, was – and this is not something that I, that I uh, have come across with with other movies, and this is key because this is 82 – it felt like the most um so this is the early eighties, but it felt like a mix of early eighties, late seventies, like that transition mm-hmm. period between the decades. It is know? eighty it
1: did premiere eighty two, so I don't, I don't know at what time they started filming, but probably eighty one or even nineteen eighty. So yeah, right. it would be pretty early on that sort of transition period.
0: And I think it's just weird because you don't really see it all that much, even in like period films. It's like when you when you go see a period film, it's like okay, let's get everything eighties as it was in the heart of the eighties. But you don't really see much in like the end of that decade or in the beginning of the mm-hmm. decade that those transitional mo- moments. Because we're living through one right now. We're we're transitioning through a real life in between of decades, yeah. with the two thousand tens and the two thousand twenties.
1: Um, and I was ahead. gonna say the kid littered with uh, Star Wars toys. <laughs>
0: That's another thing that I found interesting is, uh, and I wonder if this movie had been made today, Disney would not have allowed. No, that.
1: no, of course not. <laughs> you know, but you know, at the time, George and Spielberg were friends, so of course he's gonna throw in all, all the the Star Wars figures in the back and stuff.
0: There was a lot of them. There was a, I caught Darth Vader. I think it was a Darth Vader clock, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. He had a poster. it um, was a Yoda. It was Yoda mm-hmm. next to him. He had a like a Yoda teddy bear or something, like Yoda plush or something. It was a big poster. You're right, the Star Wars poster on there. So and at that point, this would have been post Empire Strikes Back, uh, pre Return of the Jedi. Yeah,
1: it would be in the middle of the the whole really Star Wars craze. Uh huh. <laughs> so that's another. And even
0: I mean the haircuts you have. I think the the classic bowl. Uh, Would that be bowl cut for the little boy, and then you know, for Carol Ann, you have that longer bowl cut. Very (laughs) the longer. Well, that felt it. Yeah, there are similarities, but it felt like Brady Bunch. Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely.
0: Um, it's interesting to see Craig T. Nelson as a young man. I usually know of him when his like his work. Yeah, when he's older.
1: (laughs) <laughs> I always uh-huh. think of him as uh, the crazy coach from Blades of Glory. Um, have you seen that movie?
0: I think I have, but it's been such a long time, you know.
1: With uh, Will Ferrell where they're skaters. Because like, yeah, all I really know him of is like his later work where he's like comedic and he's fucking crazy and it's funny. But yeah, to see him that Mr. Yeah. Incredible. Oh yeah, and Mr. Incredible, of course, yeah. But no, here he's he's great. I like him. He does a good job.
0: Yeah. No, they're they're all really good. Um but no, the house in and of itself and I think like besides, you know, just the interesting transitional areas, but very good use of your production design. As we're going to be reviewing in the next couple of weeks, um your haunted house stories need some good houses. You need some interesting, you know, mm-hmm. a playground here to use in. And I think they use it really well um, for very different effects. Like you have um, the staircase that's used uh, for the introduction of some ghosts. And then most importantly, well, you have the hallway for one really, really uh, cool effect toward the end. But mainly you have uh, the little girl in the little boy's room, Carol Ann in her brother's room uh which a lot of freaky stuff happens there uh, and before the supernatural elements began there's some interesting i knew they were going to pull some shit with that claim oh yeah the i i, I at one point because they kept going back to it they kept teasing it and like you fuckers you're going to get me when that happens when it when it get to that point and the tree damn i really wish this is one of those cases where i really wished i wouldn't have like um picked it up from other places cuz um that would have been a really like surprising moment but it was still exhilarating just like the fucking
1: tree <laughs> bursting through the What window. I like about this movie as far as like what makes it different from other ghost stories is it just goes for crazy shit you know yeah, yeah. like almost fantasy levels <laughs> where you know you have the kid where at first you're like oh he's kind of scared of the tree outside and you you don't expect the tree to literally fucking come alive grab him <laughs> and start swallowing him whole you know you're like what the fuck ghosts aren't supposed much less to getting do like this.
0: getting pulled away by a tornado yeah, out like, of nowhere
1: <laughs> a magic tornado comes out of nowhere that literally affects no one else on the street um, of course the clown but then like all the shit in the room or everything just flying everywhere there's several yeah. like ghosts like um, that weird white ghost Hand? with the ha- hands um, yeah. oh I will say the last year when I went to Halloween Horror Nights they had a poltergeist maze I did yes that. Um oh. I'm sure if you look it up on YouTube you'll find a walkthrough of it. Uh right. it was pretty cool. <laughs> I I really liked it. And they had that like the closet and it would open up and then like the the, the white thing, like wow Yeah. It, it it kind of was more along the lines of like Ghostbusters than mm. other horror films of that time, I think. <laughs> Right. which is interesting because this isn't played as a comedy. It's played more straight with, of yeah. course, you know, small comedic moments. Like my favorite comedic moment was when they finally get the Paris psychological ghost hunters to come to the house. <laughs> and, and they're like, we have the top experts. And you know, the dad just looks done. Like his face, you could tell he hasn't been sleeping. <laughs> And they're like, can we go see, you know, the room? And he's like, yeah, yeah, okay. And then before they enter the door, they're just like, oh, yeah, this guy here, he's the best. And he starts bragging about like, yeah, with my camera, I caught, you know, a a small race car slide across the room. You know, it took eight hours. And he's like, eight hours? The dad's like, eight hours? He's like, yes, we used our speed-up camera to be able to see it move. It, It was extraordinary. And he's just like... Uh, yeah okay and then opens the door (laughs) it's just fucking everything is flying everywhere the whole room is just mania like yeah, yeah your race car that's so interesting (laughs) my house is fucking the exorcism times a hundred right now (laughs) Uh,
0: that that was a hilarious scene um as always we think you and i come at it from a different from a, from a very similar place where we are very appreciative of old time effects but we can always be honest in in cases in which uh, certain effects have really not aged all that well um that in that particular scene there's was a uh, i think the most effects heavy scene in the movie uh where it didn't look all that great uh,
1: which one that that scene
0: where they open the door and you see the the things flying yeah. around. There's this one instance where there's, a I think, a lamp comes together.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, they really focus on that. If it was, like, more far away, it wouldn't have been that bad. But, like, they get up real close and you can really tell. Like, it's kind of cut outlined and, like, yeah, yeah. Definitely an 80s film. <laughs> definitely. Um, so, yeah, the movie mainly revolves around trying to get back Carolan, because Carolan was stolen, right. taken into the other, the afterlife, go- or the in-between. They actually have the other side. a bit of uh, explaining about how everything works within... T- world of that and you know
0: to your point uh earlier those scenes in movies these days are always the the least fun yeah and in many cases they can cause the film to slow and drag for you know exposition dumping and I didn't feel that way about how they handle it in this movie. Uh, I felt very intrigued and very interested in... And it may it may just be in terms of how they were talking about it. Like, I think uh, later in the movie, when they get um, the final boss, not the, the final, final boss, the final player. Um, what's her name? Uh, the small woman... Oh, yeah. Uh, The the expert to come in and then her automatically just translating basically ghost (laughs) into English and really kind of like catching everybody up on, oh, okay, this is what's going on. Um, But her performance and the dialogue that she was given, I think – sells it more than just oh this is the part where they're giving us exposition I mean, they did not really tell you much of anything i mean you kind of already pieced together like where carol ann ford is or in what kind of space that she's in but i think what's most interesting is how that actress that character describes uh the kind of uh i guess paranormal activity that's
1: going on yeah she's she's really fascinating she's entertaining <laughs> So whenever she was talking and discussing everything, I was like entertained to say the least. Like one of my favorite things is when they do finally get Caroline back, and they're recording it. <laughs> she like the cat. She gets the camera turn. She turns. She f- flips her hair, and she's like, "This house is clean." Like <laughs> she's just an interesting character. So to see her, um talk and explain things uh, she naturally drew me in so yeah when 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 there was all this sort of i guess you could call it info dump um it would it didn't really bother me and plus i i feel you needed some answers just to be like okay well how are you going to get her back? You know, what is, what is the strategy? What can you do? What can't you do? Uh, have you seen Insidious? Of course. Oh, yeah. I yeah. loved it. We talked about this, I thing. think. Yeah. It it reminds yes. me of uh that film a lot. The, yeah, first, the one. first one. Yeah. Where they yeah, talk yeah. I can't remember what it's called. What they call it in the film, but when they bring the that one lady in and she's like
0: right right she was also mm, really
1: good yeah. um i think that's why it worked in that film here and of course it, it works here as well so no i i liked all that there was it was just so real quick uh a little bit more on that
0: like well i think what part of it what drew me in especially in like uh first of all from like uh in terms of like you know scene dressing and kind of setting the stage together what was so interesting in terms of how she was describing the activity that was going on is she was kind of describing it in a little bit of a beautiful way, yeah. um, and something, and then she drops the bomb when she was like, "All right, now gather yourselves for this next bit. There's some evil <laughs> shit in this house that's gonna kill everything." <laughs> uh, so I thought that was hilarious in terms of how she like, "All right, we'll give you the good stuff first, and then we'll get to the really, really, really bad things that's going on," but um. Yeah, it it was um interesting <laughs> to say the least of like the stuff that's going on of like um and and it, the the one uh, I forget who wh- what her name was but the other uh woman that they first go oh, yeah. to uh for the majority of the second act uh she gets a lot of screen time uh back and forth with the mom and then um the boy just talking about um the things that she's experienced and the things that she knows, which further I think build with the other woman they bring in the third act and for all the action that happens. Therefore, I did notice that there was, I guess, the second act is seemingly everyone's least favorite. Although I was really captivated by the conversations uh, being yeah. had.
1: I wait, do people think it's like slow or?
0: Well, we, let me let me just give you an example. Uh, yeah, basically, I was watching Chris Stuckman's review of it. Um, And he was saying that people over time have felt that way about the second act, that it was like everyone, it was just the least interesting and not much action happens. Really? As compared to the first and third act.
1: I feel like there was a good bit. Yeah, you do have a lot of discussions, which I do think are important because I feel as if this film actively needs you to care. About this family and their plight to get their daughter back, like actively, actively care, but you have the one cameraman who uh, rips off his face in a in a hallucination. <laughs> that yeah, uh, with that yeah. good eighties um, makeup gore effects. Well, you have the ghosts coming down the yeah. staircase and being captured on the camera. And that's really interesting uh when they play back and you can look closely and notice like oh they're people you know walking and they're discussing like oh lost souls you know what could have happened all that and also seeing the the family kind of fall apart i don't know i I found it i never felt like this movie slowed down that much in fact i found it to be a rather fast-paced film (laughs)
0: right that that also struck me when i heard it and i'm exactly on, on your page as well in many thing, if anything i've actually preferred um what was being done in the second act i think um i mean if i'm being honest with you i i, I this is one of those cases where i find very little to be critical of yeah no
1: i don't as a film overall for what it's trying to be i feel like it it hits all those marks. Well, I guess here's the question. And again, I kind of don't care. Um, did you find the film scary? I feel like I'm
0: uh I <laughs> I've um acquainted myself enough with this. I think it also helps that I watched Hill House before yeah. this, so um, I think that kind of broke me in a little bit more in terms of like expecting this stuff. So, um, if, but I'm not comparing it to Hill House cause it's just not fair. I'm just on its own merits. Um, what is the film scary? Not necessarily. Uh, well it is, but does that scare me? No, no, not as much. There were moments that, um, could, I, th- I think, my terminology on horror stuff isn't may, may not be um <laughs> as clear as yours uh there were moments where they do a little bit of a like you know these surprise jump scares that yeah. get you uh or like these cutaways that like spook you so i was spooked for moments i'll tell you specifically so when um they do that scene with the camera where the chairs in the beginning um so the mom is um rearranging the chairs after they've been pulled away Um and then she she's looking underneath the counter and then when she looks back up with the camera following her point uh following her then she's like spooked back when she sees all all the chairs stacked on the table that was creepy as shit um just the fact that in the beginning of the film when uh, Carol Ann walks down the stairs to the TV in front of her father and she's saying and she's laughing and. To having a conversation with something on the TV, and then everyone walks down the stairs and nothing is said. <laughs> I was like, Oh, shit. <laughs> you, can... I'm glad that nothing was said because it, it felt, I think, even creepier. And, and then the fact that the next day everyone was like, That didn't happen, let's just move on with our lives. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're just going to internalize this shit and move on. Um, the clown, oh, fuck that clown, um, because. Yeah. I know, right? It was so hideous. But how it's used where um, the boy is, like, looking every which direction. And then, you know, he's looking under the bed both ways, like, left, right. And then it just pops out of nowhere and, like, grabs him. It literally,
1: like, freaking muzzles him with his hand. Drags him under the bed. I was like, oh, fuck. What's this clown going to do to this boy? You know? I know, right? Like...
0: It was creepy, um, when uh, the mom is uh, pick. Pe- oh, one of the creepy moments is when the dog was barking at the scene. Yeah, that's that's kind mm-hmm. of bone chilling because like we didn't discuss this in, in the Hill House stuff, but like because you know we've all heard paranormal stories of people who see things. Dogs see a lot of things that we don't. Apparently, see.
1: animals um, all have the sixth sense that uh, it's humans seems that don't. Way. Speaking of sixth sense. <laughs> Tune in next week to uh to the table.
0: Um, when uh, the mom is being picked up by that particular ghost, oh shit, uh, and is on the a lot sticking of, to a the lot ceiling.
1: Ghosts going on in this house. <laughs> What's up with that?
0: They weren't afraid of any uh, touchy-feeling um. hands. Let's be real about that. Um. And then I think the one that is just horrifying. I think made even more horrifying now that what you just told me is the graves.
1: Uh, oh yeah, popping up <laughs> everywhere. Um, that yeah. uh, that the the actress to the mother she earned her paycheck. <laughs> she earned that shit. Poor woman. Like they show her take a shower meticulously, so clean, and then. <laughs> a minute later she's in a pool of mud and dead bodies definitely needed another shower after that totally ruined the first one um yeah see this is the thing this film to me isn't scary right but I don't know. I don't care. I feel like for a lot of people, and this might be weird, right? You would expect the number one metric for a quote-unquote horror film is that if it's scary, but this is how I feel. Genres are a social construct. (laughs) Genres are just things we created to make it easier to categorize certain stories but like just to put labels because we're so obsessed yeah, with labels but genres don't really mean anything right because genres are, are just sort of a collection of tropes that we're able to comp- compart- compartmentalize and you know understand like oh okay this genre is similar, you know, this film is similar to this film because it follows these particular tropes and it's attempting to maybe do this. So it falls under this genre and da da da. da. But there are a lot of films out there that just don't fit a particular genre, right? And you'll see mm-hmm. now, I feel like the way a lot of people judge films is they'll say genres are supposed to be these collections of tropes and if you do not follow the exact collection of tropes, then you failed making a good film. When it's like, well, no, the films came before the tropes. You know, the art existed before the labeling of any sort of genre. Genres came after when we noticed like, hey, a lot of these stories are pretty similar. Let's, uh, you know, think of, a word for them to put together it's sort of like race like races right mm. uh, races aren't this like fact of the world what happened is people just sort of noticed like oh um these people have similar skin color so we'll we'll group them together and these other people's they have similar skin color, so we're gonna group them together. But it's it's like this: <laughs> if if you have a skin color that's kind of like like if you're mixed, right? Like Obama, people don't s- say like, "Oh, he's a failure because he doesn't fit into the right race." It's like, well, no. Races came first, and then we just not sorry, not races came first. People with different skin colors came first, and then we just sort of use race to generalize, generalize grouping of them. And it's the same with movies. Genres are just sort of generalized groupings. So you'll have people that might say, like, well, this comedy didn't make me laugh out loud at all, so it's a shit comedy. And I can go, like, well, maybe me neither. I never laughed out loud at the film. But it's really good good anyways you know the story's really good the way it's told maybe it only ever caused me to chuckle here and there but the overall artistic package is really good but then people will go like well it's a comedy you didn't laugh so that make ergo it's a bad comedy and it's like well and and then not only ergo is bad comedy ergo it's a bad movie and it's like that's not really the way it works i guess if that's the way you judge it but that's not really the way it works and i and that's the same thing with me with horror there are horror films that have really scared me but overall they're probably bad films i would consider them to be bad Mm -hmm. films. but there are films Mm -hmm. that i've never found scary that are technically under the genre of horror that i just feel are so well put together and entertaining and exciting and i really enjoy watching them that i'm like yeah it's a great film (laughs) in even great horror film the atmosphere you know uh, sorry am i boring you i went off on a little <laughs> no i'm
0: listening very intently and i agree with you i mean i feel like this kind of happens when we talk about genre but it definitely does need to be said and it's a welcome distraction from reality so
1: um i am very uh captivated by your commentary <laughs> well that being said cuz that is if i see the negatives of people talk about the film they'll say that like and it wasn't even scary first of all to a child i think it would be terrifying
0: oh yes this is probably the reason why i didn't watch it <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> as a kid so but, and then second of all like i that's not really the metric by which i judge films completely right, it might be right. one of them but it's not you know uh Yeah, the film is, I found, really, really good. Uh, When we talk about the way it ends, not to say the discussion of the film is necessarily over, but the way it ends. And it just sort of like, okay, we're done. The story's done, so now we're done. I love how it ends they don't even speak to each other right they don't there's no discussion between the family <laughs> it's just all hell breaks loose they get in the car and get the fuck out of there they're not talking to each other on, on the car ride they're, when they get to the hell the, the the hotel they're not talking to each other they're just kind of like done you know and then just that one last little uh joke where they throw the tv out <laughs> before they close the door and just get rest for the first time in months uh it's so great it's just like a little you know period that little joke where they throw the tv out shut the door and then go to credits it's just so perfect the little period and then boom you know the story's over and then also you never under you never know what the evil is which is also something i found Mm. interesting because they kept saying, oh, there's a great evil in this house. You know, there's good souls and lost souls, but there's an evil and we don't know the evil. Again, actually, this is really similar to Insidious. Now that I think about it, because it's like a kid that's lost on the other side, and then you mm. have a certain lady come in and be like, mm Remember when we talked about spiritual sequels? <laughs> <We> <laughs> Here's <are>. another one. <laughs> um, but with that film... <laughs> they did show like the evil it was it was Darth Maul uh yeah (laughs) but with this one they didn't even show it they're just implied there's an evil on the other side I guess they kind of show it with like that giant skull remember that like pops out of the closet I don't know if that was technically I assume maybe that that's what the evil was but um
0: yeah no that's a good question I guess it just assumed that the haunting was or the people who were doing the haunting were the Native American souls
1: well that's what's cool you know how we talked about explaining things only when they need to be explained they didn't need to know who the evil was once they got their daughter and shit you know they got the fuck out of there it's like okay bye we're done (laughs) nomas uh the story's over, you know the poltergeist is is over uh they didn't there was no need to really create this villain and it's the demon uh demons always have funny names uh Genochi or whatever <laughs> I don't know the windigo Pazuzu um but yeah again it's one of those things where i love the film it just starts it goes you learn what you got what you have to know and not anything more you never see the the other side so to speak it's just very ghostbusters they go through the other side and they come back covered in goo (laughs) yeah it's it's fun i really like this film
0: no yeah and look it was uh i, I love how it kept building and building and building um and, and it almost catches you a little bit off balance where right after where the woman goes this house is clean and they're packing up and you think to yourself wait is this movie over
1: yeah it's or, a there's are, a fake out ending are we
0: done right like and then like it but then it, it 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 goes on too long, and then you think, "Oh no, the hell's ain't clean." No, no, this movie ain't over yet. And it saves some of its best stuff for the end. That 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 last bit of action was um, electric, <laughs> where it literally just hits the fan in every which direction. Of course, you mentioned we were, we mentioned so much of it already, but this is more part of the the the, uh, the stuff in which you had that. Uh, that hallway effect oh yeah where um, it's
1: stretched out like it was mm-hmm. running forever yeah yeah which isn't that's like a a classic spielberg move it, that's that's the i don't know what the name of it is but it's i think it's like when you pull the camera back while zooming in with the camera at the same time and that's mm. the the famous shot he had he used in jaws when it's like the That's right. That's right. The, the guy like Yes You know. And they also used it in Goodfellas to much lesser effect in the the dine the diner scene when he's uh when what's his name has already been caught and he's talking to Robert De Niro and De Niro's basically like, Oh hey, I got a I got a job for you, you know. And it's like, that's when I knew if I went, I would have been whacked. And I remember behind the scenes hearing that they did it just like ever so slightly though, like just slowly panning out and then slowly zooming in just to add a level of unease. You know what I mean? Like a subconscious unease to the whole meeting. Um, right. Right so no it's a really cool effect and i and i love when it's used it is
0: it is um i mean, it definitely helped out the creep factor of what's going on but it's just hilarious like i mean it, i mean it's just I, I find it hilarious just like the, the house literally explodes
1: like the <laughs>
0: and like the, 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 the dead
1: bodies just the graves just start like exploding out of the ground and all over. And what's what's so great about this movie again that I find different than other ghost stories is they don't the ghosts don't give a fuck who sees, right? Cuz other ghost stories it's like they're legit trying to hide their their power levels or something. So, you know, people go crazy mm-hmm. like I saw that and, and then, you know, you go back and look at the footage like there's nothing there. Like basically a lot of ghost stories is just trying to get people to believe you. And and ghosts are like very subtle, you know, is not apparently is not to expose themselves, but these ghosts don't give a fuck. You know, on the first night shit goes crazy. You know, they're just out and about. They're constantly throwing shit all over the room and giggling. They don't care who sees. <laughs> and then at the end, the house literally just fucking implodes Into nothingness. And like the literally the whole town watches. And it's just like... uh, I guess ghosts are real now guys. I don't know how this whole block is going to explain it. But yeah. I like how these, these ghosts just had big dick energy. Where it's like... We are ghosts and we do not care who sees. And then also... I can't remember the exact definition. They said it when they were talking to the the ghost hunters where they're they're like, there's a haunting and then there's a poltergeist. Mm -hmm. And a haunting, I believe, revolves around a place and it can go on for years and years and years. But a poltergeist surrounds a person and right. it's very sudden, and it can end at any moment, you know, something like that, yeah, which I didn't, yeah, I didn't know, I didn't know that that was like a thing, a word there was I just thought it was just another word for haunting, but oh, yeah, I thought that was cool, Cuckoo.
0: we shouldn't um forget to mention the wonderful wonderful score by jerry goldsmith
1: yeah music's great again very very shit (laughs) very steven very yeah spielberg i'm telling you the film feels like a a long lost steven spielberg film it really comes off like that it it, it's very gremlins You, you know what i mean
0: which she didn't direct, but he produced. That's this. another one,
1: right? <laughs> right. I think that was yeah. Joe Dante. Another one of those. That one. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no. Steve Spielberg. He really did control Hollywood there for a good bit. Yeah. That's crazy. That's so crazy how these legends that once just ran the industry are now like. <laughs> Can anyone finance my films? Please and thank you. He's the only one that has no problem, though, financing his personal
0: movies. Oh. Uh, has he had... Uh, he always gets the money to get to, to do whatever he wants. He's the somewhat. only one. That can't I can't remember
1: which projects, but there was something along the lines of, like, Spielberg couldn't even... It took a while to get the green light. Uh, maybe it was his most recent film that's going to come out. Um that well that west side story movie
0: um he's been planning on doing that for years and years yeah. and years that could have been it but um to my knowledge i mean i guess his movies are not gangbusters any longer at the box office they do make money for his aging audience yeah um he need but they're not
1: i think he needs yeah. to pull like a uh what's his name Clint Eastwood, you need to hyper target your your aging audience, right? Because Clint Eastwood, he very much makes makes movies for, for the boomers and, and older. Oh yeah. Right. And they and show they up. They show every up, time. right? So it's always about, you know, American sniper, these guys that stopped a terrorist. You know, all that all that jazz. Well, Spielberg needs to do that. And he's kind of doing that with a wet side story. So,
0: yeah. I mean, that, not to say that, look, uh, the post and,
1: Oh yeah, is that is, that yeah, that is hitting his audience target.
0: Those. Yeah. And, and they were successful with that audience. And I think to the point where the studio was happy with it. So it's like, he's not doing gangbusters any longer, but that's not at the place of his career where he's at any longer to, you know, to that point. Um, we will say Spielberg has definitely had more fortune um with getting the movies he's want he he wanting to make finance and Scorsese. he seems to have a trouble getting anything made. Um
1: uh, Yeah, but in the in the studio's defense, he keeps wanting to make these two hundred plus million dollar films <laughs> that are five hour long epics. Uh which again, I very much my cup of tea. But, fuck, it, it's not the same as some of these other filmmakers, you know. Not even West Side Story would probably cost that much. When you're doing uh, The Post, your most expensive asset is, like, what, Meryl Streep? Yeah. Your
0: actors. <laughs> it's your actors. Yeah. I mean, period, doing a period is expensive, too, but I mean costumes and makeup is
1: How long before budget. he does his uh RBG movie?
0: I don't know. I was reading that uh, uh he and Hillary Clinton had like a a women's voting history program oh, on TV no. recently. Oh, it's coming. Hillary Clinton, I think produced it with Steven Spielberg. Oh. I don't know what it's not about her. The, it's about by women's. the Clinton
1: Foundation. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, we know
0: Spielberg is a member of oh, the yeah. Foundation. Oh, yeah, and the Illuminati. So. Um, <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, it's interesting. Uh, it'd be fun to get some recent comments of him, from of Poltergeist. Uh, it's been a while since he's mentioned well, the movie.
1: Well, apparently, from what I read, he's maintained to this day that that is Toby Hooper's film, <laughs> not his.
0: Yeah. I don't think he would actually yeah. ever say <laughs> what really went down I think he's he's a gentleman i mean he's 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 a professional too he yeah, we know like there were there were stories i i read uh of how bad he got into fights with uh Julia Roberts on that hook movie and how she was like fired once or oh, twice, really? but they all came back. see
1: yeah. she disappeared i think if that point. happened today, oof, the headlines.
0: There are a lot of Hollywood stories that if they happen today, the headlines, could you imagine? Well, I'm
1: talking about the strictly legal shit. <laughs> like, just walking well, off set, you know, that's legal. But now... Well, Shelley Long oof, no, on The Shining? No, 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 no. But that, I, I'm talking about, like, that in itself, like, that's probably... I don't know, like, maybe a police report needs to be filed in that case. I'm talking about shit where it's just, um, messy behind-the-scenes shit, you know? Screaming. Well, there was
0: Johnny Depp, uh, with the making of Pirates 5. Uh, he was reportedly always late and just in a bad you mood. Can, yeah, At you that can point, tell. he and his wife were getting a divorce and they were having their own issues. I mean, remember when um, we discussed we, the yeah.
1: film? We're like, he's actually drunk. Like, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, we we could tell,
0: and we may, uh, depending if the reports are true. Um, Pedro Pascal, Mandalorian, we might see some <laughs> of that. Uh,
1: on the I screen. I doubt it. He's gonna have the hood, the the helmet on the whole time. That's true,
0: huh? Yeah.
1: Uh, uh, but the the most famous one I can think of in recent memory was Terminator Salvation. What's his name? Uh, Christian Bale do you not know about this there's a recording when it came out it was a big old scandal where they're I guess they're doing a scene uh they're they're shooting it and then one of the light guys came up maybe he came he came in shot to like mess with the lighting to fix it make it better whatever while he was doing the scene and he just fucking loses it and he's like what the fuck are you doing get the fuck off my set and he just like goes at him like there's a point where it sounds like he was about to rush him and like try and beat the shit out of him and it's like (laughs) and it's so funny he's like you know what you're a nice guy but you don't know what the fuck you're doing we are done professionally man we are done like (laughs) you never heard this recording
0: you know, if you just no.
1: Google it on, uh well, not Google it, just type it into YouTube, it'll pop up. um But no, like it's him just losing his shit. And the thing is, I feel like this kind of shit happens all the time on Hollywood set. Like the the lead actor punches the director, or the or the director, and the, and then like they fucking go at it. Um, I was reading an interview with uh Eddie Murphy talking about how him and John Landis because he directed Coming to America and I guess John Landis was like a real prick to him and like they had this whole back and forth shit and then like John Landis was really just being a real dick like trying to put his foot down like I'm the director and just trying to little um Eddie Murphy And I can't remember at what point of another, like, he just smacked the fuck out of him. (laughs) And then he, like, completely changed his demeanor moving forward. But, like, it seems like hostile work environments are kind of the norm behind the scenes on Hollywood sets. But now it's like you have minor disagreements on the outcome of a film, and that's a fucking scandal, you know? (laughs)
0: Well, I mean, there was a story recently that uh, Will Ferrell and John Favreau didn't really yeah. get along when they're making Elf. Yeah,
1: I mean, I how did I think of it? There's just hundreds where it's like main. Uh, the oh, one of the funniest is Wesley Snipes in Blade Three. Apparently, like he only started to talk to the director through post-it notes. And he would refuse to say his lines. There was a point where he's supposed to be laying down on a table uh, while they're inspecting him. And he refused to open his eyes. So if he would just lay there with his eyes closed, that they literally digitally had to put eyes on top of his closed eyes in Blade 3. And it looks creepy. (laughs) And it's like... There's so many ridiculous stories of, like, the crazy shit that happens behind the scenes. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, in today's day and age, oh, f- fuck no, you can't do that. Because like, everyone will tweet that shit out, they'll record it, and then you're canceled in two seconds. Which, again, if Not you're either. being abusive, that's a good thing. But if you're just, like, mm-hmm. having... It seems like a part of the... The artistic spark of movie making (laughs) is just those clashes, you know? (laughs) To a certain extent.
0: Far be it for me to say anything because I've, you know, I've been, but very little, uh, limited experience with any kind of production whatsoever, if it could even be called that word. But uh, it just seems like how could there not exist any kind of project? Where there wouldn't be any kind of differences of yeah, any
1: kind, because you have you have the producers that want to be in charge, and you know the studios. They're like, we're bankrolling this, so they want to micromanage everything. You have the directors who are like, this is my fucking vision. You have the writers who are like, no, this is my fucking vision. So bringing vision. it back
0: to Poltergeist, do you feel perhaps there could have been something like that going on with Toby Hooper and with Steven Spielberg?
1: Uh, maybe. From what it seems like, they were cool, Uh, but there could have been something along the lines of maybe the the film was falling apart with Toby, so then Steven just, like, came in and started taking over a lot of it.
0: But you also have situations like Return of the Jedi, where you had Richard Markwand, who was the director mm-hmm. by name, but then George Lucas has admitted that he basically had to, like do the day to day job as the director. Yeah. <laughs> kind of like making sure he was like not screwing things up. So it's like is it I mean it could be a situation which like Cooper and Spielberg just basically directed the film together, which I mean by all indications it seems like that's yeah, what happened. Because um, I mean
1: Toby Hooper is pretty talented, like very talented. Uh, right. he's a he's an icon. So the idea that he couldn't do the film I, I don't, that doesn't necessarily make sense to me. By the way, he had died recently and the Academy did not even put his name in the Remembrance. Uh, you, you know, when they do the Remembrance.
0: It's bad enough when you completely dismiss horror as a genre. But you're really going to be that petty where you're going to ignore the people who dedicated their lives to the film industry because of the genre they're associated
1: in? Uh, yeah, that man, horror. This doesn't get enough, I think, blowback every year.
0: But every year there is this by these very elitist groups of people from the Emmys or the Academy Awards, where they feel beholden to just snub people who are now dead in the ground. And every year there is blowback, but not enough to the point where... If there's any reform that should be done, and there is a lot of reform that should be done about everything about the Academy Awards, do not misunderstand me. But that is something that I cannot believe we continue to allow, is for people, just petty snobs, to just say, you know, this dead person I don't like. Well, just pretend they never existed.
1: Or, you know, realize that dramas aren't the only films that exist. Because, I mean, Toni Collette ain't dead, but she still got robbed of that Oscar nom. And Oscar, yep. win. if she had given uh-huh. that same performance in, I don't know, like a fucking uh, Louis Armstrong movie. I don't know. Just pick a random historic figure and and make a drama about it. And she had given that same performance. She would have been a lock to win like it wouldn't have even been close everyone would have been like oh yeah it's tony collette's it's hers this year but because it was a horror film hereditary what who tony collette who i don't know
0: and again it's it's all the
1: industry uh accolade groups i mean where was the haunting of hill house yeah when it came fucking emmy time some of the best television fuck even whores getting snubbed at the Emmys and the Emmys rewards rewards fucking trash. It's crazy. The Mandalorian, what did they win? Seven? Oh no, they got nominated for seven, right? Or did they win seven? Mm, they won Fuck. seven Emmy Awards. <laughs> yeah, there's no excuse. There's no excuse. Um, but Poltergeist... I'd buy that for a dollar.
0: <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh, overall, I really, really enjoyed this, and it provided a bit of joy in this week of mine that had a lot of stress and anxiety to it, so uh, it was great fun. Uh, great classic. start to Ghostober. absolutely. Absolutely. Do you want to uh, inform our lovely audience what they can expect for the next month? Yes.
1: So this was, of course, our first episode of Tober. We have two more f- for here at, at to the table. Next one will be M. Night Shyamalan's film debut. Technically, it wasn't, but we will say that it was because that's the way I like to think about it sign not sorry not signs uh <laughs> the sixth sense uh classic classic ghost story there's a twist in this film and i'm not gonna give it give it away alexis okay <laughs> i know he knows the twist it's hilarious uh and then well oh, everyone does at this point and then we'll Ended off with the orphanage, Spanish film, uh, produced by Guillermo del Toro. This is kind of the odd one out because the other two are very, very famous American sort of ghost films, and the orphanage is not really that famous. Some you might even consider it a bit of a cult classic it's uh not not that many people know of it it's a spanish film uh but it's really good it's really really good and i again guillermo del toro is we believe did you not say we might be getting into watching a lot of guillermo del toro movies soon so yeah so again this similar to this film this one was not Directed by Guillermo del Toro, it was produced, and I thought that might be a good sort of transition from Ghost Tober to the eventual uh, many reviews and discussions we will have on Guillermo del Toro's filmography. So that's sort of that tail end into that, to The Orphanage. Yeah. And then, of course, on the other shows the, the main show red spotlight entertainment we will we've already discussed the haunting of hill house and then when the haunting of blind manor comes out when does that come out october, october 9th no- we will binge it and then come together and do another review with uh the morenos and probably not kyle Cause we're severely booked up as far as guests go <laughs> but he probably will be at the audio commentaries for the shining and doctor sleep
0: I uh, have um, I told him months ago that we were planning mm-hmm. on doing this and and since we've I've brought it up in, in um in conversation several times as recently as uh yesterday um he has uh communicated to me no intention
1: of appearing on any of these shows okay then never mind <laughs> i just wanted to make he sure there's like dead no to hope of that as happening. the ghosts in these films <laughs> so
0: yeah that's uh I mean, he hasn't said that he hasn't definitively closed the door on it, but he also hasn't bothered to address their existence. So I guess that's kind of where he is with this. Yeah, he's
1: dead to us. That's okay.
0: Well, thank you all for listening. This is a very fascinating conversation here for poultry Guys onto the table. Stay tuned every Wednesday for more episodes as well as our Red Spotlight podcast every single Sunday, sometimes on Thursdays, and the Fantasy Fair every single Friday. Thank you all. Stay here under our Spotlight Network, and until next time, bye bye